And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's up, buddy? Dab me up, dab me up. Just WFH today. You know how it goes. Zoom calls all day. It's kind of driving me nuts. Who got white claws? Ain't no laws when you're drinking claws. I'm not like a career guy. Like, I'm a friends guy. You know that. Dude, I love this sweater. Is that Nordstrom? I just want to like collab with great minds and like make something effing awesome. Like, hinge date canceled? God. I am perpetually single. Yo, if Josh posts another selfie, I'm gonna flip. It's like, bruh. I'm just a gym looking for his pants. New bottle of whiskey there? Don't let me get into that. <laughs> My Irish side will come out. <laughs> To the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Thursday, June 17th. I'm J.E. Skeets, rolling with the homie, Tass Mellis. What's up, everybody? What's up, Tass? Got the top shot. Hot boy, Trey Kirby. Hey, yo. Hey, hey yo. yo. The international man of mystery taking it to the Max Lealis. Friend. <laughs> Finally making the magic happen. It's J.D. Hello. There he is, and here we are. Shout out to the stream team joining us live right now on YouTube. Smash that like button, leave your comments, and if you haven't already, subscribe to No Dunks on YouTube. We really appreciate it. Keep sending in your questions and comments for the next Beach Steppin' Podcast. Email them in. That's the best way. NoDunksAtTheAthletic.com is the email address. We hit the beach yesterday to discuss uh, a number of topics. Got into whether or not the Clippers are doomed. Without Kawhi Leonard, spoiler, maybe not. Uh, we shared some wild NBA rules and concepts we'd like to see implemented. And we talked about celebrity encounters and Australian pioneers like Buddy Franklin. Yes, the Buddy Franklin uh, and a whole lot more. So go check out that uh, Beach Steppin' podcast that we posted yesterday afternoon. And finally, go grab your No Dunks merch over at nodunks.com. All right. We got the up-down report on today's show. Some fun topics there, but we got to start with the games. Had two on last night. Two game fives, and the first one... My goodness, the Hawks. They come back from 26 points down to stun the 76ers in game five. Lily, have at it. What was your big takeaway? Well, they stunned me as well, I have to say. Uh, Because what a complete disaster for Philadelphia. And what a complete triumph here for the Hawks. The Sixers came out and sort of feeling like they had to make up for what happened there in Game 4, I felt. They came out energized and refreshed, hit their first six shots, opened up a 17-point lead in that first quarter, and it was trending towards a blowout. The Hawks just sort of looked like they couldn't get anything going. Joel Embiid looked fantastic himself. 17 points, 8 for 8 shooting in that first quarter. The Sixers getting buckets from everybody. Corkmars was fantastic. (laughs) I can never get his name right still. (laughs) You know, and it continued in the second quarter. They're up 22 at halftime. You mentioned the 26-point lead in the third. They were still up 24 with two minutes to go in the third. Jaboyle Embiid hit a mid-ranger, and he was almost sort of saying, like, we got this. He was strutting back down the court, and he looked great. 
And then something happened sort of in that end of the third quarter and into the fourth. And uh, I thought a couple of amazing things. I'm going to hit on the points that I saw, and I'm sure you guys have got others as well. But I thought, start with Nate McMillan. Good coaching because Lou Williams played almost that entire fourth quarter, had 13 points, and he had the whole bag of tricks there. Mid-rangers, floaters, a deep three. Seth Curry, who was fantastic offensively for Philadelphia in this game, got absolutely ruined by Lou Williams in that fourth quarter defensively. Lou just ate his lunch. I thought he was great. Gallinari hit a huge three and then a fadeaway sort of as time ran out to seal it there for the Hawks. John Mm -hmm. Collins had another huge block, a huge three-pointer like in game four. But of course, it was Trey Young in that fourth quarter who really delivered the killer blows, I thought, for for, uh, Atlanta. His last three makes, I went back and looked at these. These are not included in the free throws. A drive against Simmons, Tybal, and Joel Embiid, three all defensive players, and Trey Young, six foot one, hundred and ten pound Trey Young goes and gets the layup. It was like Skeetsy out there getting one. He had a step speed kill. He had a step sort of side step, step back mid ranger where Joel Embiid was on Capella. Now I think Joel Embiid kind of got caught because he's like Trey Young is a more than willing passer. They've got great chemistry there with Capella, so he sort of gets caught whether to come out. Or to leave Capella, he gets caught no man's land. Trey Young hits that, and then he has another floater in the paint where he just blows past Tybal and gets inside there and throws this one up so high. I thought that one came down with snow on it because you know Trey Young <laughs> is so small and so tiny, and he knows when he's going into the paint, he has to throw it high to get it over some uh, great long arm defenders, and he did that and knocked it in. And then he went to the free throw line and hit five straight. And free throws are a huge talking point of this game as well. Just a massive, yeah, buddy. massive talking point. The Hawks made theirs. The Sixers, I mean, wherever you want to go. And Beard, who had hit 20 straight at one point, misses two at the end. And Ben Simmons, his struggles there continue. But I think uh, Doc Rivers needs to take a lot of blame here for Philadelphia. He seemed to run out of ideas. The Sixers' leaders ran out of ideas. But I thought Nate McMillan, again basically like Steve Nash the night before was like I don't know what our game plan is but it's out the window Lou Williams is cooking I'm going to leave him in there he often doesn't play Lou and Trey together because they kind of cancel each other out, out a little bit yeah because you should be that. scored on like non-stop <laughs> exactly with both those guys but the they issue. needed but buckets and they, yeah. were, and they were getting him out there so uh, I, I just thought this was one of the most improbable comebacks uh, to get the game and Trey Young he went for the home run to really drive the victory home with that three-pointer miss that didn't cost him in the end uh, they were up by three at anyway at that point but I just thought he has been continually fantastic for a rookie in these playoffs as far as his uh, playoff experience uh, fantastic stuff but what an incredible comeback and now what happens in game six I mean do the Sixers have another fight in them or do they let go of the rope a little bit because uh, that's two demoralizing losses in a row for Philadelphia two inspiring victories for the Atlanta Hawks and uh, just an incredible game last night. I I, I, I don't know. Well, you guys take it yeah, from here. I don't well, know what else. Death ask. by chocolate is an incredible cake, but death by floater is not the way to go if you're the 76ers. <laughs> it was giant killers left and right. It was basically like Lou Williams saying, hey, look, the floater is going to be open. Trey Young, go for it. And yeah, I mean, Lou really changed the game. You said he was eating their lunch. He was eating their wings out there, Lee. And what? <laughs> Lou and Trey both went for 13 points. In the fourth quarter, uh, we said going into the series, small guards have given the Sixers problems in the past. That was not the case when they switched Ben Simmons on to Trey Young early. Tybal obviously was able to speed him up a little bit, but with Lou Williams figuring it out and with Trey Young figuring it out, they've been in control. And they were certainly in control last night. And 
you know, if you're getting outscored by those two guys, you should probably have somebody else make a basket besides Joel Embiid and Seth Curry there yeah. in the second half. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. From it's the sort Sixers. of the uh, impossible question here, Tass, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. What happened more in this game? The Sixers' incredible comeback or, sorry, the Hawks' incredible comeback or the Sixers' complete collapse in the second half? If you had to go one or the other. It's definitely the Sixers. You know, talking about Lou Williams and all that, sure. But they're still up 10 points with four-plus minutes left in this game. And to implode and, and give, a, give up a double-digit lead, you have to implode on both ends. They couldn't even figure it out on one end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, 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 the guys who are supporting Joel Embiid on the offense will start there. Have to score a basket. <laughs> Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, they have to score a basket in the second half. They didn't score one. It was kind of like watching the Nets the other day and Kevin Durant and Jeff Green you know, holding fort, doing everything they could, nobody else supporting them. But Kevin Durant was good enough to finish the job. Joel Embiid was good enough to get the Sixers to the fourth quarter, but he couldn't finish the job. And yeah, up 10, four minutes left. Doc Rivers went to Tobias Harris, came out of a timeout uh, for him with a play. He turned it over on a terrible pass. Then a minute later, he got blocked. And Ben Simmons, yes, uh, you know, we can talk about him being a good enough player without a jump shot. But when you have a guy with you playing beside you and Tobias Harris who couldn't score a basket, uh, that's not a recipe for success, obviously, especially combined with Joel Embiid, who was gassed. And they had to implode on the defensive end as well. And that leads me to the defensive end. Yeah, Trey Young blew by Matisse Thybul once in the last four minutes. He blew by Ben Simmons once in the last four minutes. He had Joel Embiid at the rim. It was just those two, really. And Joel Embiid decided not to jump twice. I, I suppose he was gassed. He's an all-defensive player. Uh, he just didn't jump uh, both times. And so I think that's what happened. He, he carried the team until the end of the game. But, yeah, the all-defensive player just didn't get up for a shot. So up 10, four and a half minutes left. Tobias Harris doesn't have a bucket in the second half. Simmons doesn't have a bucket in the second half. Uh, they tried to go to them. Docker was tried to go to them. They, they just simply didn't succeed. And then Joel Embiid couldn't even muster up the energy to stop a shot. And Matisse Steibel you know, fouled uh, Trey Young on a three-point attempt. So it really was every single possession went wrong down the stretch. So, yeah, the Hawks did everything right in, in, from their instance, from their perspective. But if you're up 10 with four minutes left, you just have to work your ass off on the defensive end, and you probably win this game. Mm. But they couldn't do that. They, they simply couldn't do that at the end. It was a huge, huge implosion all the way down to the final buzzer where they couldn't get anything to, to work for them on either end. If you are ranking them, Lee, in terms of who deserves the blame for that meltdown, for that collapse... And I just give you, there's a lot of guys you could go Mm. and point fingers at, but you said the coach in Doc Rivers, some of his lineups were perplexing, to say the least. And then you got to say Tobias Harris, who's, uh, you know, paid like a superstar and did nothing in the second half, two for 11 in the game, four total points. And then Ben Simmons with what was going on at the free throw line, it continues to happen at the free throw line and him not scoring in the second half. And like, how do you rank that? Are they all tied for first in taking blame in this game five loss? Look, I think Ben Simmons' free throw struggles came back to haunt him and the team. I really do. Because Nate McMillan, look, it's ugly. No one likes watching hacker strategy. No, it's boring and it really slows the game down. And it felt almost like a bit of a sort of like cheap strategy from Nate last night. It's like, come on, man, like just try to get back into the game. But it worked. It really did work. Ben Simmons did not want to be at the free throw line last night. I had text messages from dudes in Australia going, man, what is going on with Ben Simmons? And I'm like, I'm like, it, it's crazy because, 
you know, at this point of his career, you should start to see at least some improvement. I know some guys like Russell Westbrook and Andre Iguodala, they kind of have gone back down a little bit, but Simmons hasn't had that uh, improvement at all. And it's a huge weakness that is being exposed. And, and Nate McMillan's like, you know what? If this is what it does to just not only put him at the free throw line and miss them, but just disrupt whatever offense they For had going sure, as well. yeah. You know, it, it works. And so now going into game six and for however long the Sixers are in the playoffs and maybe they get out of this series, other teams are going to be like, let's just keep on going because Simmons can't prove teams uh, wrong for doing that. You know, of course he hits the odd one here and there, but he doesn't go to the point where it's like, we can't get him out of this. uh, They can't stop doing this to me because I'm going to make them pay for it. Until he learns to make teams pay, that is going to be exposed like that. And, and, you know, Doc Rivers says all the right things. You know, oh, well, I trust him. He's my star, you know, but he put him on the bench in game four. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, this this is what's going to have to happen, I think, in game six as well. It's like, if he can't trust him to get fouled and go to the free throw line, Simmons, your all-NBA caliber player, all-defensive player, may have to be on the bench, and that's just not a good look. So uh, I, I think, honestly, that is is uh, whoever you want to appoint the blame to, if one of your superstars is being exposed because he can't hit free throws, I think that's a huge, huge problem for Philadelphia going forward. Yeah. Dish me the blame rock here, Lee, because I'll throw some at <laughs> Tobias Harris. Uh, Tobias Harris, what was he, two for 11 yep. last night? Yeah, I mean, obviously Ben Simmons being more aggressive would help. Uh, him looking to be a scorer would put some pressure on Trey Young, would be, you know, just getting some baskets inside. It would be nice if Joel Embiid didn't have to completely carry the team in the first half so that he's not gassed in the fourth quarter. But that, to me, is a little bit where Tobias Harris has to come in. He should be the guy who has a little bit of an advantageous matchup here. John Collins, I think, has done an incredible job. He did the same thing with Julius Randle in the first round. He just denies the ball out there. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the big key for John Collins playing defense right now is making it hard for Randle or, in this series, Harris to get the ball. And then the actions just aren't there. Like, they blow up the first action, John Collins does, and Harris is just happy to wait for maybe a kickout for Joel Embiid, but... Basically nothing. Doc's getting him no touches. We had said a few times this season, nobody gets more from Tobias Harris than Doc Rivers does. It would be nice to see something from your 20-point-per-game score. Just take a shot. Like, just look to get going offensively because that should be an advantage for the Hawks. Tobias Harris is usually a solid scorer, but he is just drifting in those games out there. And somebody has to do something besides Embiid. Somebody has to do something besides Seth Curry. Like, Seth Curry's a really good player. He's had some nice games in this playoffs, but he should not be your number one perimeter option. Right, right. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, rough game for the Ben Simmons apologists. Uh, and I guess Tobias Harris apologists, too, uh, who had a great season, great regular season. But, yeah, nowhere to be seen in this one, Tass. Uh, if you had to pick between those two, who does deserve more blame for this loss? Is it is it Simmons, the all-star? Is it Tobias Harris, who gets paid like one? And is your scorer, I mean, should be your sort of second secondary scorer? Well, you know, Simmons did his part at the free throw line when they first intentionally fouled. He, he banged home both free throws, 423 left. It's a temp- going it's- crazy when he made them. <laughs> yeah, the second one, they were very, very surprised that he banged home that second one. So <laughs> they went nuts. Yeah. And then at the other end, you know, Joel Embiid gassed. So Trey goes right by him and scores. Then they go back the other way and Joel Embiid gassed. So he chucks up a three pointer. It doesn't go in. Uh, and, 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 you know, at that point, uh, Nate McMillan said, you know what? Ben Simmons is banging at him home, so we're not going to foul him. And then Joel Embiid bailed him out. Uh, and then the Sixers come back. Uh, they decide, uh, the Hawks do to, yeah, you know what? 
uh, we probably got to try this again. I don't yeah. think Ben's going to bang them both home. So he misses them, and then he goes two for four. And then, you know, Doc tried to get Tobias Harris going after that. He gave him the ball 315 left out of a timeout. Out of a timeout, you expect something good to happen. Uh, but Tobias Harris, yeah, literally, uh, he, he, he just, I don't know, it was like a deer in the headlights. He just forced mm-hmm. a bad pass to Joel Embiid. It was a terrible ter- turnover in a very, very key moment. Uh, and so the Hawks gained momentum there. Uh, and then later on, an- another one, Tobias Harris, just in the lane. Uh, I've got to chuck it up with my left hand. Mm-hmm. Got the snot blocked out of it. Uh, so it, Tobias Harris just didn't look like anywhere near uh, you know, the perimeter threat that he should have been. And, uh, yeah, combined with Ben Simmons not being that, uh, yeah, it's, it, it really was Jeff Green and Kevin Durant out there when Seth Curry and Joel Embiid, the only guys to score a basket in the second half, uh, you know, Ben Simmons can be fine if he has a guy beside him who can score enough. Uh, I mean, that's what it came down to. And Matisse Thibault looked like he was sort of a deer uh, in the headlights as well out there when he touched the ball and, and when he was on the defensive end even to really, really, really uh, screw up there, you know, jumping into Trey Young. Uh, on the same day when the, the committee, the rules committee is looking at trying to change those uh, those jump attempts into guys they're talking about that for next season Trey Young got a huge foul there on Matisse Thibel so it's just a really what did you a, think a about team that call, I mean that that's you know I assume you don't think that should be called a foul did you I mean Trey does the thing where he jumps completely into him and Thibel's yeah. trying to say I was here but <laughs> I was I was standing here I didn't go at him he came at me but what do you think about that call yeah, it's. Uh, I think they got to change it for next season. <laughs> According to the rules this year, it's a foul. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it a billion times, but it's a terrible foul. Uh, and, and yeah, I, you know, you got to put blame on Doc Rivers too, just uh, for for everybody to sort of look the same way, to not be ready to to finish the game, uh, uh, to to not execute a freaking offensive play at the end of the game, to not have somebody else score. Uh, that's uh, it's just. Horrendous, and and you know you, you, they yanked uh, Ben Simmons after he missed those two free throws uh, to to try and get him a couple possessions off and and try and get you know some some spacing out there for Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris, but obviously that didn't work either. Just uh, not you know instilling confidence in number one in him or in your team. Uh, I mean Ben to go two of four on the hack attempts. Can you expect that much more from Ben Simmons? I don't think so, really. I mean, three of four, I guess. Yep. But uh, that's not bad. Yeah, I mean, but four of 14 is not good. I mean, True. he misses 10 free throws in a game they lost by three, and I know they had a massive lead, but he was garbage. I mean, he's, that's an embarrassing performance from him, especially after what you saw in game three when we were there, and they were like, Ben Simmons took over that game. There was a portion of that game three in Atlanta where he just completely took over. Aggressive Ben, setting guys up, attacking, not all that afraid of like still going to the line and all that. Now, I think Nate McMillan should have hacked him in that game too, but he didn't, whatever. And then now in game four and five here, Trey, uh, it's, it's like, it's crazy. And what you see with this like roster makeup too, when Ben Simmons is your point guard or is he's your like perimeter guy, that's an issue because he brings the ball up quickly because he's athletic and then if he can't attack right away, he just goes, okay, well, uh, you take it. And then Ben Simmons is completely out of the play. He's like just never heard from again in that possession. And then you know it's going to try and get its way to Embiid. So teams are like, of course, as the game goes on, get a little more comfortable with that. We know where it's going. It's just become so predictable. And he hurts them in this case. And then on top of that, the 
of obviously like piss poor free throw shooting where he's in his head. He's completely shook. He shouldn't be this bad. Four of ten is garbage. I thought all Australians could shoot, Lee. That was the one <laughs> thing I thought all Australian basketball players could do. They were lights out shooters, especially at the free throw line. And it's just weird. So like, you know, you see here where like, man, of course you could use like a Lowry in this situation. A point guard that just like can actually shoot any sort of guard. Um, but when Seth Curry is the best perimeter player, like you said, TK, that, that's a recipe for disaster when you got two other guys that make a combined $360 million. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's bad news. Yeah. Bears, Skeetsy, um, embarrassing stuff. And afterwards, Ben Simmons even admitted it's mental for me at yeah. the line, which, I mean, when you're saying that, what's going to be the makeover in the next two days? Is he suddenly going to get super confident at the line? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you never want to hear about a guy having to switch hands shooting during the playoffs. Am I right? But that's why, to me, it's a little bit more on Tobias Harris because at this point, the Sixers should not expect scoring from Ben Simmons. If he gets a bucket in the half court or uh, in transition, that's amazing. He's going to give you something defensively. Obviously, last night it wasn't happening because Trey Young was unstoppable, but the defense will be there. The passing will theoretically be there. Maybe you're scoring in transition, but... Doc Rivers runs out these all-bench units, and Tobias Harris is the one scorer out there, and the team goes scoreless. Like, that's the guy whose one job on your team is to get a bucket, and you can barely even get him an open look. It's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of that is on Simmons as well, like putting pressure on the defense and then maybe getting a kick out for a wide-open Harris three or something like that, but... One of the two has to do something to score in the half court, you know, and it's most likely not going to be Simmons. If he can find a way to contribute in game six, then the Sixers are going to have a chance, but they need something besides Embiid because as we're seeing, the load is just a little bit too big for him right now. He's Mm -hmm. not able to carry a team for 48 minutes, 40 minutes, no problem, but the last eight have been a problem so far. Yeah, there are two things that I don't want to like hear or see ever again moving forward. One... The Trey Luca trade between the Mavs and the Hawks, we can just leave that as it is. They're both going to be unbelievable players. They're proving it. Luca, hell, he could be, who knows, two, three time MVP in this league. Trey Young, though, is goddamn incredible. Like 18 assists in game four. The 39, is that what he finished with last night? Uh, and then, like, the takeover as you took us through there, lead late. Like, he's a special player and awesome. They're both happy with their guys. And look where they are already at this stage of their career. So I'm done with that. We don't need to like always bring it up. I'm sure it will, but we don't need to. The other thing is, don't you dare f***ing send me a video this summer of Ben Simmons hitting threes or hitting jumpers or hitting free throws in an empty gym or some dumb rec league pickup game. I don't want to see it. I don't care. He can't shoot in an NBA game. He doesn't want to at the line or from the perimeter of course so just don't we don't need to see that and we don't need to get excited about it on twitter because you know it's going to be coming at some point lily so don't retweet it please okay because it doesn't matter at all until he does it in a game i don't think he's playing for australia at the olympics so he's got plenty of time to uh put that video together one of his trainers can uh, meticulously edit it and show you him going like 90 for 100 from it. the free throw line but uh but honestly it, it it's a significant problem that he has to improve on he doesn't have to be steph curry at the line he doesn't have to be 90 percent, but he has to be able to go to the free throw line with confidence that teams can't just go let's hack a superstar player here because it's just it's 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 bad and it is costing his team. And, you, I and think it's crazy that I heard this on uh, the, uh, the the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast today. By the way, go check that out. AU with Spike. I mean, talking about this loss from the Sixers perspective, it's amazing. But this is your point guard in Ben Simmons. Like, it's one thing if it's your center that's, like, struggling 50, right. 55%. It's like, 
That's okay. You can probably survive because... Their center's money at, at the line. That's the funny thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. But right? in a close game, I think they were saying, it's like, you know, you usually get it to your point guard. <laughs> He's usually the best free throw shooter on the team. You feel most comfortable with the ball in his hands for not turning it over and then getting fouled and going to the line. And it's like the complete opposite here with, with the point guard, Ben Simmons. Like, this is the guy that should be able to, like, like you said, Lee, what do you want from him at this point? 70, 75% is not asking a ton, of course. Um, but I don't know how he changes it outside of switching hands, going underhand. Wow. Like what? I would shoot 50,000 free throws this summer. I just would, would do it to the, because I think that's what it comes down to is Maybe, just that yeah. repetition and practice. And, uh, you know, we, we got an email from someone a while ago, actually, I meant to bring it up, um, saying that like when he was back in Australia, like he just, he wasn't even making free throws in the empty gym. Skeetsy. So maybe you're <laughs> oh, wow. not going to see that video oh, wow. because he because he, cause oh, he wasn't doing it. So, that. Uh, you know, Dwight um, Howard's never but, missed one in practice. But uh. <laughs> look, uh, you know, I, I I look at guys like uh, like Tony Parker as an example. The reason I bring him up is because the Spurs nearly moved on from him and got Jason Kidd because they couldn't trust him. Jason Kidd not a great shooter, but just uh, you know a better player at the time. But Tony Parker worked his ass off to become a very effective mid-range shooter. Remember that little one just from the side of the free throw line. He knocked that in. That became cash for him, and he knocked in his free throws. So he just showed simply by working hard, he improved himself as a player to the point where it was like, that's great. So that, that's just an example where Simmons doesn't have to be the three-point shooter. You know, He just has to find an ability to shoot something, whether it's a, a mid-ranger, the floater consistently, and then go to the free throw line and knock him in. You know, knock in... Knock in, honestly, three out of five right now. That should be the goal. 60%, I think. 30,000 uh, out of 50,000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Start there. So, uh, but I, I just, you know, I mean, for a guy, you know, with all the physical and athletic gifts he has, he shouldn't be as bad as he is at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else to add, Tass, to, to this game here? Uh, we thought this series was over, if we're all being honest. I think we all thought. I mean, yeah. Sixers look good. Sort of the Sixers. 2-1. Yeah, yeah that, maybe that's the problem. Especially yeah. in games four and five when they had massive leads. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, Tass. So, I, you know, I know we're piling on them, trying to lay blame at whoever's feet deserves it on Philadelphia. I, I hope we gave enough, like, love there to the Hawks because, you know, John Collins, what's happening here with the 1911, that huge block that ended up going out on, I guess, was it Harris, right, that tipped it? And it hit out of bounds before then John touched it, so it went the other way. Like, that was huge in that point of the game. Atlanta stayed up one, if I remember correctly. What's, what's so funny, what's happening here with John Collins, like, we talked about his contract, right? Like, what does this guy get? What does he deserve? And it's like, on one hand, you're like, and I think this happened with John. He's like, well, I got to be a, I gotta be a 22 and 15 guy. The ball's got to come through me. And I think this happens with young guys, right? And, like, you're like, I don't know. You're probably not that, okay? Like, that's not maybe you. Do this other stuff. Do all like the little things, the dirty things, the hustle plays, like you said, the, the prevention defense tray, like, you know, obviously hit a three and stuff like that. And, and he, he got lucky on that one where he banked home a little bit, but like do the dirty little things and you can make a ton of money in this league because there's so much value in guys like that. So it's sort of cool. I think in this, as this playoff series has gone on um, for, for the Hawks here over these two series with the Knicks and now the Sixers, like. You're seeing that from Collins. And, like, I'm wondering now if, like, it's actually going to help his uh, his bank account because it's, like, there's value in that. There are, like, uh, if that makes any sense. I don't know if it'll be with the Hawks still, and I don't know what number they would agree on, but obviously when he plays like that, when he focuses on that stuff and not the, like, I got to get 25 a night, I, it's so much more valuable, I think, almost in a weird way in this league. He's going to – it's going to be interesting because I think he's the longest-tenured Hawk at this point, right? 
And yeah. now yeah. he is making his first appearance in the playoffs. And like you're saying, Skeets, he's doing the little stuff. You yeah. can make a ton of money going 20 and 10, but you can also make a ton of money being willing to do the dirty stuff in the playoffs. And kind of something we didn't expect from John Collins. He struggled, I remember, through the first two games. He was kind of like, what's this guy doing? Yeah. Turns out he just focused on playing defense and being a two-way player here. And now it's going to be even harder for the Hawks or to, to say goodbye to him if he wants to go somewhere mm-hmm. else because – He's showing up in the playoffs the very first time. He's got some tenure here. He's obviously a nice match with Trey Young, and you like being able to run a guy who has a little bit of a modern game. Nobody's necessarily saying that John Collins is going to be an all-star. It's certainly a possibility, but he can stretch the floor. He can put it on the floor. He can score inside, and as we're seeing here, he can actually play a little bit of defense. Another guy I would tip my cap to, Onyeka Okongwu, maybe the best rookie in the playoffs so far. He was great against Dwight Howard there in the second half. I think he ended up with six points and five boards, a plus 12 in just a handful of minutes. He's been contributing offensively. He looks like he's going to be the next Clint Capella whenever Clint Capella, you know, has uh, passed his prime. Impressive stuff. Yeah, Tess, anything else to add uh, to this game and, and moving forward? I mean, I guess we – do you still believe the Sixers can win down here in Atlanta on Friday night with Lee Ellis in attendance, standing room only, having a Peroni? Lee thinks so. Yeah, uh, Lee's nodding. He's tasting well, I'm that saying, Peroni I'll be right down now. at the fortress. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, we gotta go. Gotta go. Yeah, I, I think it. Bumpy. Yeah, it's it's. It feels like a, a Doc Rivers up three one series lead, and then the team just uh, falls apart. I know it's just up two one in this instance, but two huge leads uh, in game four and game five. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see the Sixers get out to that lead again, uh, but for some reason in the fourth quarter. They just stopped working. Uh, I mean, there there was, I get perfection from the Hawks side. Like John Collins banked home a three with five minutes left uh, to make it uh, an eight-point game. Uh, Dwight Howard and George Hill missed bunnies in the fourth quarter when they were going up against Onyeka and Kongwu. Like, they... they, they just couldn't seem to, to figure it out. Um, you know, like the bouncers were going the Hawks way, but it, it really was disappointing was, you know, Embiid not jumping uh, when Trey Young had two layups with under four minutes left that's it's just it's just odd the, the Harris and Simmons got to help I mean uh, I don't I don't know what other way to put it Dwight Howard might want to play outplay on Yekka and Kongu at some point um, in a second half I don't know it's a it's a real conundrum it's like we sat back and watched the Clippers lose 3-1 and, and uh, it's it's an implosion really and mm-hmm. so Toby it's got to be better, uh, and uh, you know, one. I don't know. There's just there's there's a lack of fight, and you know, I tie it to Doc Rivers, but the the whole team, man. Uh, there's something there that uh, they just they just fade, and I don't know if it's just Joel Embiid getting gassed and everybody seeing that, and not knowing what the game plan is after Joel Embiid gets tired. Like Joel Embiid's last uh, make was nine minutes left in this game, and he obviously has the the size advantage, the matchup advantage, uh, but. He was just done. He was, mm-hmm. he was too tired to do anything. That's why he was standing out at the three-point line. That's what he was, why he wasn't jumping. And so maybe less minutes for him, but then what happens? <laughs> um, man, it's, yeah, uh, exactly. it's a strange one. Yeah, you, I mean, I hate to play uh, body language doctor here, but holy crap, and beat at the end of that game when they were giving up the lead and, start, and then gave it up and weren't getting it back. It, it, I was reading from his face like, what the f***? Is anybody else going to do anything here? Like, do I have to do it on both ends now? And... Uh, he looked, he looked obviously frustrated, as you would be, blowing a 26-point lead after blowing an 18-point lead when this series should be over. They should be moving on to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Another thing Spike said on his podcast, too, I'm like, this should be what the Hawks are doing. Like, right? 
the like the Sixers are a legit title contender. They were the number one seed in the East. You know, you've got guys on the all-defensive team. You've got an MVP runner-up. You've got another all-star. You've got another guy that's a borderline all-star. They should be the ones, like, if anything, like, coming back from 15 down because they're like, no, no, no. And it should be the Hawks because of inexperience, whatever, maybe getting hot and then blowing big leads. And it's, like, flipped on its head here. That's why it's really perplexing that it's, like, the Sixers lit the monster leads. And then this resilient Hawks bunch, and again, kudos to them. Lou completely changed the game. We've seen Lou Williams do this, though, a number of times in his career. He just completely changes the game because... The guy's a bucket at times. He gives a lot back on the other end. You could expose him if you want to, which they didn't. But my God, he just catches fire and the game changes like that. But it's weird. This should be the Hawks, I think, having big leads, Trey, and maybe giving them up because of, again, inexperience. But it's uh, it's the Sixers team that a lot of people think could or should win a title. And the opening seems to be there right now with all the injuries across all these other teams. And Embiid, yes, is hurt, but why does he look dominant and, you know, in the first 24 to 30 minutes of a game. So, I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. Embiid is dominant. He's got the advantage against Capella, but over the course of the game, by the time he gets worn down from carrying the team in the first half, because he has to carry the team in the first half to get the lead, to to play well for the Sixers, it's getting a bit overwhelming for him at the end. And then they look like the inexperienced team out there yeah. where they're like, all right, Things are going poorly. It's on me to figure this out. It's on me to be the one who gets the bucket here. And you can tell Embiid is getting a little frazzled with trying to put the team on his back and it's not going so well and he can't rely on anybody. It looks like it's their first time in the playoffs, but this is, uh, what, their fourth appearance in the playoffs together. And when it goes bad for the Sixers, just like when it goes bad for the Bucks, it feels like we're seeing the same thing over and over again where it's like a bit of a panic to the point where you're like, if I don't do this, nobody else is going to be yeah. able to. Uh, you know, I think Chris Kirshner even said it's pretty corny uh, that Nate McMillan does a fist before the game. We're going to be tight as a fist, and the, heart, the, the tighter the fist is, the harder the punch. <laughs> the 76ers are like a mangled Lionel Hollins kind of hand, right? Like, like your Ben Simmons is over here. It's not going to get some shots. Your Joel Embiid is slowly fading. They need to fist up and actually play together as a team. And that, to me, is on Doc, doing something, saying, guys... Well, you know, we're not going to stop a 27-point blown lead in a single possession with Joel Embiid trying to get to the free throw line. We got to do something and play as a team to get a win here. Yeah, a wild, wild line from uh, Kevin Artivitz on ESPN uh, in his article about this Hawks comeback. A snake-bitten Doc Rivers has now presided over five of the eight largest blown leads in the past two postseasons, Lee. That is wow. crazy. Though I also think Doc was the coach for the biggest comeback in a postseason in, over the Warriors when they were down like 31, right? The Clippers were, if I, if I remember that uh, correctly. Yeah, yeah, so, you're right. So it's, yeah. Weird. Mean, yeah. yeah, you know, very uh, high highs with Doc and low lows, I guess. Uh, yeah. It's a very strange stat, though, there from, uh, from Artemis. Yeah, uh, that that's, uh, doesn't look good on Doc if it keeps no. happening to him. But I, I do sort of think he sits on his hands a little bit in that fourth quarter. He didn't seem to, I mean... Maybe that's why the fingers are all mangled. <laughs> yeah. It's possible. You know, uh, yeah. I don't know what he needs to do to, you know, you just get someone else to get a run a play to get someone else a basket. But again, a lot of this falls on Tobias Harris, who has, I've been critical of him because in the playoffs he hasn't stood up. And, and so far up to about game three or four, in fact, in game three, he was really good. He has been really important for the Sixers. But he went in those crucial moments last night and, and back to game four, he leaves it short. He gets timid. He doesn't attack. And uh, he doesn't seem to have that same sort of confidence in himself 
And uh, he, he has to step up now huge in game uh, six here in Atlanta because he is a, he's a bit of a pendulum swing for them. When he plays well, they tend to play better. Uh, but he hasn't delivered in the important, you know, fourth quarter stretches of the last two games. So, you know, uh, there's a, there's, yeah, man, what happens to this team if they go out in six? Oh, if they I go mean, out in six, how can there not be moves? How can Ben Simmons not be traded? Or I don't know if, to, if it's Tobias that takes the blame. You can't run it back again with this. No, there's I don't no think way. So. I don't there's think no so. way. This is this would be terribly disappointing. The Hawks are a yeah. good team. They're not like a oh my god, this team is a juggernaut. We can't beat them. They should be beating them, and they were. Yeah. and they have. Yeah. They have been. They, they just were. can't close it. And up. look what you what you were saying before as well. Like since coming into the starting line, they're, they're basically playing four starters right now. The horse because Kevin Huerta hasn't really adapted to that role. Solomon Hill wasn't very good. Yeah. You know, DeAndre Hunter is out for the entire playoffs. Cam Reddish is out. So they've still got two young draft picks as well that they expect to be much better and hunter we've seen be very good so the hawks are, are severely short-handed really they're, they're you know nate mcmillan's kind of like what do i do because kevin huerta was giving them really good minutes <laughs> off the bench i bet he would love to sort of okay solomon hill didn't work let's go with somebody else but who is that sort of fourth guy that doesn't give up too much defensively and can potentially hit a shot is it gallinari i don't think so because i think he likes gallinari coming off the bench as well but uh they're, yeah, they're, you they're, can't play Gallinari too many minutes, too. No, no. That was the, that was the perfect spice yeah. last night. Yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, that's the thing. He, he's he's very slow and he can't get exposed, but uh, he's giving them that real sort of offensive punch right now. So that's the one sort of still problem that Nate McMillan faces. It's like, I need someone to be that fourth guy, but he hasn't found it yet. Okay, let's go to the uh, the nightcap. From Hold on a second, Lee. Oh, are you planning on going Friday? Because I need yes. you to get me two. Steve Kirby's in town. Whoa! Oh, yeah. wow. For Father's Day, I don't know if he's going to be able to handle standing for three straight hours, but I'd love to put him through the paces. Yeah, well, tell it. Tell, I'm more than happy to get one for him, but I am definitely going standing room because the sitting, uh, the sitting te- seats right now are. We're talking three bills right oh, now. Wow, That's a little wow, bit wow, too wow, much wow. for me. So, uh, you know, it's much more fun in the standing room section as well. I, I enjoyed I it. Them. I gotta say, especially if you're yeah. with a big group of people. Uh, you know, when you're in seats, it's like the classic bar dilemma, right? You're like, hey, how's it going down there? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. a shot, hey, uh, air high yeah. five. But, like, you know, you're, you're in the standing room. You can sort of, like, bounce around, talk about the game. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a moving uh, little group there. I, I liked it. Uh, I'm not going, though, by the way. So, uh, I, I like, you know, we go down for Friday and the Hawks, like, lay a dud and could never get back in the game. And then what happens the next two games you know, they're incredible in game four. They come back and then in game five. I'm going to stay away for Hawks fans. Uh, you don't want me there because they'll lose mm-hmm. by 20 if I'm in the building. I will guarantee <laughs> it. Uh, but you guys have fun. And that would be awesome. Yeah, get, get two Kirbys out there. It would be incredible. Okay, let's go to the other game. Um, Paul George, the Clippers, beat the Jazz 119-111 to take the 3-2 series lead. TK, get us started. Big takeaways from the Clippers' victory without Kawhi. What a win for all the Paul George heads like me. I don't know if this was the biggest game in Paul George's career. The guys played in the conference finals game seven. Definitely one of the biggest narrative games of his career. And he had one of the best playoff games that he's ever had. 37 points, 16 rebounds, five assists. It came on the road and it came after the Jazz came out blazing. That was very impressive. Absolutely necessary for the Clippers to get a win. And the thing I loved about Paul George's performance was that it was so consistent. First quarter, 10 points, 5 rebounds. Second quarter, 12 points, 3 rebounds. Third quarter, 8 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. Fourth quarter, 7 points and 3 rebounds. We've talked so many times about how Paul George is one of the best guys to watch when he's on fire, when he... uh, 
when he's really streaky. And, you know, that can be the case. He can have a 40-point game where he has 30 of them in the second half. But that would not have been good for the Clippers last night. They needed the consistency a little bit more than the top end, you know, on fireness. Shot 55% for the night, which is good, but not an insane number. The thing I love, 14 points in the paint and 11 free throws. He was putting the pressure on the rim and on the defense. The dunk against the Heat, probably still Paul George's signature playoff moment at this point. But this is probably his signature game to playoff P. The guy did it last night. He had a huge spotlight on him, and he came through completely. There's no doubt about it that Paul George showed up when the Clippers absolutely needed him to. So feather him in his cap last night. That was a fun game to watch, uh, especially when the Jazz came out on fire. The arena was lit, and you're like... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But the Clippers kept their heads. Yep. They hit back. They were feeling good at halftime, only down five after the Jazz had made 17 threes <laughs> That's in the first half. Yeah, but it kind of turned out to be bad news bears for the Jazz because they're like, cool, if we're just going to make threes all night, why even shoot a two-pointer? Went three for 24 from three in the second half, and that was the difference in the game right there. A real tale of two halves, if you will. Yeah. Tass, what did you think of this one? What a freaking squad. I mean, to go into Utah and to not let up all the way throughout the game, uh, even when the Jazz were raining down shots, uh, you know, it obviously starts with Paul George. He felt good. I think he felt like it was his signature playoff performance, like something that he's been sort of, uh, you know, missing the last few years. Like he sort of broke through the tape. You know, if he's saying, hey, mom and hey, dad, in his postgame <laughs> interview, he feels pretty freaking good. Yeah. You know, that, that he can he can be a vulnerable playoff P there and say hi to mom and hi to dad. But all the guys all the way down the stretch. I mean, to go into Utah and to win despite uh, Utah shooting more threes, banging home 23s, they had to go and steal this game, and they did. Like Down the stretch, like Terrence Mann, that huge, huge shot over Rudy Gobert. Then Reggie Jackson going into the chest of Rudy Gobert. Marcus Morris, obviously monstrous with 25. And that was, you know, all those guys needed that. They needed to do that. For them to get the win. It, it wasn't a game that the Jazz lost. It was a game that the Clippers went in and stole. Uh, they shot 50, 40, 85 from the line. You have to do that in a tough place uh, like to win, like in Utah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess they're waiting for Donovan Mitchell to show up at the end to kind of save them. Um, but, uh, my God, the Clippers uh, doing it, you know, with a guy like Terrence Mann who just steps into Kawhi Leonard's spot there. And all those guys I mentioned, Marcus Morris. I mean, everybody looked good on the offensive end. Team win, they got to feel phenomenal going back on that team playing like I mean, who would have thought that the Clippers would be like the most, um, you know, have the most camaraderie, the most chemistry in the game? I mean, that was it's it's bonkers seeing Paul George and Steve Ballmer dap it up after the game. I mean, they they are one through twelve, plus Ty Lu, amazing story there. Lee, anything to add to this victory? Just that uh, despite the numbers of which Paul George put up were fantastic, I thought leadership uh, qualities were really on display last night because he only had five assists, but he really did pretty much touch the ball almost every offensive possession, but he didn't just sort of try to do too much or try to do it all himself. He really trusted his teammates, and I think that's how you show the other team or the, your, your teammates that you're on the same page. It's like, I'm the star, I'll do the heavy lifting, but I need you guys to contribute. And Terrence, man, you talk about Paul George's signature dunk over Chris Anderson. That dunk 
dunk over Rudy Gobert is Ter- Terrence Manns. I mean, he just went straight at him yeah. and jammed it on him. That was just incredible. But Reggie Jackson, who has incredible self-confidence uh, you know, and self-belief, he hit some monster threes last night. And again, I think that all starts with Paul George saying, Everybody needs to be on the same page. And Ty Lue said that before the game when someone said, you know, how much of this is just on Paul George? And he said, it's not on Paul George. It's on all of us to contribute. And uh, Ty Lue has done a fantastic job, I think, coaching this team because he went with Luke Kennard last night and then Patrick Beverly again. Patrick, he gave up one stupid foul there against Donovan Mitchell on the inbounds. But other than that, I thought Patrick Beverly was okay. He's definitely one of those sort of players that's like, you can't have him out there for too long because he could screw up. But if you can give him a few minutes here and there and he just hustles hard on defense and hits the shots when he's open, that's his best uh, strength. So I think uh, Ty Lue has done a great job. And, and as you sort of say there, Taz, one of the things that I've thought would always come back to haunt the Clippers was when they're down, they don't have that fight in them to come back. And now they've done it in both series. And last night, I I thought that was just such an impressive performance because you lose your best player and it sort of galvanized them because it was like, everyone's just now dismissing us, thinks we're gone, we're going to be written off. And instead, they put in, and I I do think this is the best playoff game of Paul George's career for for everything that he did out there on the court. Defensively, offensively, it was great. And uh, again, he sort of commanded the ball. He's like, it's going to go through me, but I'm not going to take every shot. I need those other guys to contribute. So a super impressive victory here. And now, some serious questions for the Utah Jazz. Can they get out of this series? I mean, they, they, they've got no real excuse. I know Mike Conley's obviously missing, but... Uh, Donovan Mitchell got... is banged up, too. I mean, I think that was yeah, he's... pretty apparent here in this game. Because yeah. I think that said it, like, all right, we had a bunch of threes in the first, and, like, it's okay. We will have Donovan, you know, carry us home at the end. And, uh, you know, credit to the Clips' defense and, like, loading up on him and, sure, make anybody else beat you. And it looked like Bogdanovich was going to do that early on in this game. Uh, but, yeah, he's just... He's hampered with his ankle injury. I, I'm making excuses for them, but that sucks for the Jazz. They, they don't really yeah. have their, their backcourt at this point in this series. But the yeah, Clippers I mean, no there's, there's, there's no question it looks like he is carrying something with that ankle, ankle injury. But, you know, in the playoffs, if you're playing, you're healthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that, that isn't a big enough of an excuse when you consider what the other team uh, is missing. True, so, true. Um, yeah, this, this was just uh, an inspiring Clippers performance, I, uh, <laughs> which sounds, <laughs> sounds funny to say, yeah. but it really was. It I mean, was. We, we have to give them credit because everyone, you know, when they're down 0-2 at home, to the Mavericks, it was like, what a pathetic organization. Same old, same old with the Clippers. And now they're on the brink of earning victory into the uh, conference finals. This is, again, this is not like, well, the Jazz are missing three of their stars. Whoops. And, uh, and uh, you, you know, the Clippers just got lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a money box. It's a money. It's a piggy bank. Look at that. There it is. Anyway. <laughs> Dropping dimes. Uh, uh, you know, this wasn't, a, that's not it. It's not like the Clippers are taking full advantage of a team that's like shorthanded. It's instead, it's just uh, an, an outstanding performance. And uh, Ty Lu has done a great job. Uh, a few notes I'll add because you guys are saying, was this Paul George's best playoff game ever? I, I think you guys might be right. I mean, 37-16-5 with the whole narrative, no Kawhi, in a pivotal game five on the road. I could only find a couple other that sort of compared. So uh, it's either his best to his second or third. The other ones that I would say are in the mix. He went for 39-12, and 12, uh, making a bunch of threes in a road victory over the Wizards in 2014. Big game, 39-12. He posted a 39-8-8. Tass, you might remember this. In the Game 5 loss to the Raptors in 2016, which I believe was the Norm Powell game, uh, if, I, if I have that right. Monster, monster game Must there. Must have been. It was definitely the Norm. Eight and eight. Yeah. And then he also scored 37 in Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals versus LeBron uh, back in 2014, too. So those are some monster games, but 
look, 37-16-5, when you're the, the go-to guy, like you said, Trey, just consistently, the, the MJ-like, uh, hey, just get 10 sort of every quarter type thing, and it all adds up. He was awesome throughout the game. I thought the Jazz sort of lost the game in the second quarter when they had a 9 or 10-point lead because they had hit a million threes and had a couple possessions to really take complete control of the game before the half, and they had some turnovers, some bad misses, and then Paul George, in that stretch, go back and watch sort of the end of the second quarter, he managed to keep them, I guess, within five, if that's what you said there, Trey, going into the half. Like, he hit, that's when he was attacking. He missed one inside, but got the rebound, like, twice, and, like, then was sort of flexing a little bit. He was instrumental in keeping the Clippers, you know, just within striking distance at the half. And then, my only final note is, like, this sort of felt like if you look at the Game 5 KD masterpiece with the Nets and the contr- contributions he was getting from uh, Uncle Jeff and from Blake Griffin, it was like that game but like toned down, which is so perfect because we were just joking <laughs> yesterday that Paul George is like the, the greatest player or the greatest third-team player of all time because he has the most uh, all-NBA third-team selections because it was like that. You know, PG playing the role of KD but toned down. That's fine. It wasn't 49. And then, yeah, Marcus Morris, sort of a toned-down version of uh, Uncle Jeff and what he did, because he had 25 points, 10 to 16 from the field, a lot of threes. And then Reggie Jackson, I guess, playing the role of uh, sort of Blake Griffin there with his big shots and timely shots with 22, but like a toned... Well, that one's more even, I guess, with what Reggie did, so, yeah. Do you think PG shouted third team All-NBA after every basket? Yeah, PG third team, we're now calling him. He uh, was awesome. He was awesome. So it was, a gr- it was a great game. It was an impressive victory. I, I-, I feel bad for the Jazz with uh, basically having a hobbled backcourt or one of them not even playing, but we'll see what happens. I mean, just when we think we figured out these series, the opposite comes true. The opposite thing happens, so I'm not... It's very not weird, it's though, over. to be like, the Jazz have to figure out how to play defense in this series. Yeah, it's weird. Why is that the case, you know? it's uh, The superstars are getting whatever they want, whether it be Paul George or Kawhi Leonard previously. Reggie Jackson can get a shot off anytime he wants to, and then there are wide-open threes for the rest of the Clippers as well. I was told the Jazz were a good defensive team. That's where they make their money. Uh, That's their basis of their team. That's their identity, and they're just not able to get stops at all, and that is the crazy thing to me. They've been turned into a three-point shooting offense-only team, and that's not their identity for the past five seasons. they got to get back to it uh, in Game 6 if they're going to have any sort of a chance. 50 minutes in, my God, do we like basketball or what? Let's take our first break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I gotta get something off my chest. Nothing drives me crazier than sending a message to a group chat and getting no response. That's why I'm a big emoji responder. Love a hang loose hand or a salute, but man, it hurts when you send a message and get nothing back. Ouch! We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash NoDunks today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash NoDunks. This episode of No Dunks is brought to you by BetterHelp. All right, back with No Dunks. Get your thumbs ready. It's time for the up-down report. Preparing your thumbies. It's the up-down report. Yeah, let's see those thumbs up or thumbs down in the stream team. First one, guys. Amid a rash of injuries to star players during these playoffs, LeBron took the league to task on Twitter yesterday for starting the season just two months after the 2020 NBA Finals. An issue he was vocal about when the schedule initially was announced. I'll quote him a little bit here. They all didn't want to listen to me about the start of the season. I knew exactly what would happen, LeBron wrote. I only wanted to protect the well-being of the players, which ultimately is the product and benefit of our game. And he went on to say in some other tweets, if there's one person that knows about the body and how it works all year round, it's me. I speak for the health of all our players, and I hate to see this many injuries this time of the year. Sorry, fans. Again, he had a lot of tweets, so you can go seek those out if you want to. So, up or down on LeBron's comments here about predicting the injuries after that quick season turnaround, Tess? Well, if you remember way back before the season started, uh, the guy he won a championship with last year, Danny Green, said, just wait, just wait. LeBron is going to sit out the first month of the season because he knows his body that well. But LeBron didn't. And maybe because he's a company man, just like us with The Athletic, maybe he, the, the NBA said to him, hey, listen, uh, we got to start early. You're going to have to play. Don't sit out. For whatever the reason, though, that would have been the time to, to stand up and, and you know make some sort of statement then. Uh, but unfortunately, the season started. He played through. He did get injured. Uh, and now he's he's making these statements as, as we all are you know, wondering what the hell is going on. And we're all sad that we see these guys go down. But he made the, the statement after Kawhi Leonard went down. Uh, and a guy who managed his load all season long. He played into the second round last year. And he only played 52 of 72 games this year. How can you tie that one? To playing too much this season you right. can't i mean it's it, it's it, it's not and, and in that same series you got mike conley on the other side who's not playing in the second round he played one round of the playoffs last year with the utah jazz uh, and he had several months off before the season now he's hurt he had a hamstring setback during this series like all these things, I bring those two up because all of them are case by case. I, I know it's fun to summarize it in 140 characters or 280 characters, however many Twitter's got going on right now. And that makes the headlines. And, and, and there are actual people with uh, you know, medical background studying this stuff. And so you shouldn't take it from me. Probably shouldn't even take it from LeBron. You probably should take it from doctors to understand You know, guys like maybe Jamal Murray is a case of having played too much last year going to the conference finals and getting hurt during the season this year. But it is case by case. Mm. And uh, I think now at this point, LeBron, 
you know, he I, I guess he was a company man at the beginning of the season. He played through it. Uh, he said the All-Star game was a horrendous idea. Uh, different reasons, the, the COVID reasons. You know, he he suited up for that as well. Uh, and, he, you know, he made a statement at the same time. He, you know, he did suit up. So at this point, yeah, you can say it, but uh, it's a little too little too late. You know, the, the, the players, um, they agreed to it. When it when all is said and done, they yeah. agreed to it. And uh, if you want to stop the season now for a couple of weeks off, I'm all for it. I mean, we stopped the, <laughs> we stopped the season last year for three months. Everything worked out fine. Uh, you know, I guess it was three plus months. And uh, you know, just stop it. Let Kawhi come back. Sounds like you're saying, uh, hey, LeBron, write your tweets when the ACL injury is in the air. Uh, <laughs> maybe the timing of this. But, yeah, he's been he's been consistent. you got to admit that with LeBron, with uh, how he feels about what his union did ultimately uh, agree to, like you said, Tess, like in terms of coming back for the business side of things and, and playing the All-Star game and all that. Um, what do you think, Lee? Thumbs up or thumbs down, though, on LeBron? Uh, you know, a little 2020 hindsight here with these tweets. I'm sort of a bit of a bother because I agree with him to one point and I disagree with him on other points. Uh, look, we knew it was all about money and that's pretty clear. The owners are like, no, we need you back quickly as possible because we lost so much revenue last year. We want to get as many games into it this year. Uh, so we're starting a couple of days before Christmas and ultimately the players did say, okay, we're going to do it. So once you agree to that, then you sort of have to understand that uh, you're going to be playing 72 games. It was a very condensed schedule, compacted schedule, a lot more backs-to-backs than that the uh, Adam Silver was trying to get away from. But then you also have situations where the league's saying, you know, okay, if you're on a national TV game, you cannot rest healthy players. We're going to fine you. But at the same time, you've got the Oklahoma City Thunder, for example, saying, Al Horford, you can just sit at home for as long as you want. The Cavs did something similar with Andre Drummond. So there seems to be a little bit of that hypocrisy if you like of like we want everyone playing but you know what if you don't want a guy to play you don't have to play him either so I think that's a part of it uh, and the fact that LeBron suffered the most serious layoff of his career as well he's probably still a bit um, you know hurt from that where he's like listen it affected me it affected Anthony Davis and now in the playoffs we're seeing so many guys star names missing out potentially because of the workload but Injuries happen all the time. You know, ACLs are going to get blown out no matter what happens because it's just the way it goes. Hamstrings the same. These things have been a part of a professional sport forever and they will continue to be. So uh, I think that's sort of where I sort of don't agree with LeBron. But I also think, look, this schedule this season was definitely crazy. And I think there probably has put a little bit more pressure on, on players to get out there and perform when they would normally get a bit more rest. So I think he's got a case in some parts, but I also sort of think maybe not as well because injuries are just a part of the game. Trey? Yeah, I think he's right on a lot of this. And I do think that LeBron has been consistent the entire time through. We heard the Danny Green quote, and then LeBron was a different player than he usually is at the start of the season. Remember, every single Lakers game was, I'm not doing anything for the first three quarters. Then in the fourth quarter, I'll turn it on and we'll try and get a win here. About a month into the season, after the preseason part of the season, which technically was in the regular season this year, LeBron turned it on and he was back at LeBron powers. And then he went down with an injury, so... I think he is kind of, this has been his story for the entire season. And I think that the condensed schedule certainly is having an effect. Like Kawhi Leonard got hurt in the playoffs. He did load manage the entire year, but he also played like, what, eight playoff games in 16 days or something yeah, like that? that's true. It like is, that's something that kind of, yeah, exactly right. It is condensed here in the playoffs, yeah. which are the most intense games. And, you know, the, the schedule obviously backs up a little in the playoffs as well, but... 
It seemed to be a little bit overdrive, and so many big names have gotten hurt, and LeBron had said his stuff in the past. How is he not going to take a little bit of a victory lap here? How much of an effect has it had? I don't know. None of us really know, but I think it has had some sort of an effect uh, being it, having these games just jammed very close to each other and having to ramp it up from you know, not having the same sort of layoff that you're used to. So there's got to be some sort of an effect, but I don't know. I don't, it, was a, it was a tough spot for the league to have LeBron dunking on the league, even after all of the injuries that have happened. But, you know, as the stream team is saying, would he be saying the same if he were still going? Who knows? The thing that sucks is that there are a lot of guys hurt, and it's going to be injuries, it feels like, that determine the NBA yeah. championship. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, that's a great point, though, about the actual postseason, like how quickly they are playing these games. So they usually get more time, you know, between the games, like a little bit more. There's a lot more of those two days off, um, but it is sort of jammed in. And I think we focus a little bit too much on, oh, the start of the season when they fired it up, got to get that Christmas Day game in and stuff like that and that money. But I actually think it's because of the Olympics this year and them trying to get everything wrapped up before they were going to happen here in Tokyo that maybe is actually causing more havoc when you look at when these like jamming these games in. If they could have just continued to play this postseason, it goes a little bit longer. Maybe, maybe some things don't happen, but who knows with injuries, as you guys said, so I don't need well, to go over it again. The playoffs aren't jammed any more than they usually no, are. No, yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're playing every second day. They don't the majority they all of the time, them. though, in the first and second round. They, get, they the f- generally get more time. No, in the first round, yeah, some yeah. Of, some series get two days off before a random game, mm-hmm. but a lot of the times it's every second day. I mean, it's 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 the same thing. It's really the same thing. What? There there have been series in the first round where there was two days off. Playoffs have been the same. The exact same. You think the 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 window of dates from the start of the postseason to when it's supposed to end is the exact same as it always is? I, I think, think it's so. Shorter. You're telling me it's not. I, I think I it's, think a it's the exact same. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway. Injuries suck. Next one, Hornets guard LaMelo Ball was named the NBA's Rookie of the Year on Wednesday. It was great timing. Uh, Ball topped finalists Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton to win the award. Third player in Charlotte history, Lily, to win Rookie of the Year honors. Can you name the other two? Uh, Larry Johnson. Yes. And Taft loves uh, this other player. Oh, I make a record there you for go. Yeah. Yeah, Bob, The Bobcat, yeah. That's right. Uh, Sadiq Bey, the only other rookie to even uh, garner a vote, as we show you here on the stream team, the uh, voting results for ROI. So, 84 first place votes. Trey, are you up or down on LaMelo winning Rookie of the Year despite missing 21 games? Well, I'll start by saying I'm down on the timing. Tough one for the league, thinking, hey, we got a nice wide open Wednesday. Let's drop this last award here. Suddenly we have the busiest Wednesday in league history, but I'm up on the choice. I'm a big ball lever. I had LaMelo as Rookie of the Year before the season. Played 21 fewer games than Anthony Edwards, but... To me, this is still the right choice. Lamelo was a winning contributor right out of the gate. It took 20 games for him to finally start for the Hornets, but it should have been earlier. You could just see that when he was on the court for Charlotte, they looked like a different team, and he elevated the Hornets, and kind of his play style became their play style. Uh, once he finally got into the starting lineup, Lamelo went 20 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists for a month. Only LeBron and Luka Doncic had done that previously as teenagers. Then he broke his wrist. Came back at the end of season. Wasn't totally the same, but he finished at 16-6-6. Six, six. Solid percentages from the field. 44 
Field goal percentage, 35 from three, 75 from the line. He had highlights from the preseason to the end of the season. And Lee, I saw the shirt you got. This is incredible stuff. Is this the first time that two rookies of the year in the same jerseys, in the same number, have actually won the same award? Wow. I don't know. I haven't gone back deep into it, but uh, pretty crazy stuff uh, that, you know, Charlotte number two teal is going to be an iconic jersey for basketball fans in the 90s and now for basketball fans in the 2020s as well. What's also crazy is LaMelo Ball created history that will probably never, ever happen again. He became Rookie of the Year two years in a row because he was the Rookie of the Year in Australia and now he's Rookie of the Year in the NBA. So that's wow. something that's uh, never happened Not before. Not even Buddy Franklin would... can say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, look, the only the only question was whether or not he was going to get punished for missing those games, yeah. really, because he was the standout from the start. I mean, he had highlights. The Hornets were winning. He was incredibly fun to watch. He didn't uh, sort of hit the rookie wall other than, of course, missing those games. And, uh, he, you know, the shot wasn't too bad. He was a great passer. He played defense. Eric Collins probably helped his case because sure. he had so many incredible <laughs> highlights that people tuned in for that. But I will say Anthony Edwards at least made the race uh, somewhat exciting he had a very strong sort of second half of the season there and he also showed that you know he was a he was a deserving number one pick I mean the Wolves won't be disappointed they've got a they've got a legit sort of star in waiting there themselves so you know that that's the uh that's a question this draft was like who is the number one there was three or four guys who could potentially be it and I think um, you know James Wiseman started off well there for the Warriors, uh, but Lamelo Ball was uh, overall the standout rookie. So well done, well deserved, and uh, very excited to see that he's been able to live up to the hype so far and uh, see what he's got in the next couple of seasons for us. Tass, were you shocked at all by how many first place votes Lamelo got in the end? Like 84, pretty significant uh, out of what the hundred. Uh, I think some people thought it might be a little closer between him and Anthony Edwards with Ball missing those games. What did you take? Yeah, I agree with some people. I thought that it would be a lot closer. Mm. But uh, I'm looking forward to year two. I I mean, I I think LaMelo was fantastic this year. Anthony Edwards came on uh, a little too late. Uh, So uh, second season, I'm looking forward to seeing who will be the best player of those two guys. I think Mm. Anthony Edwards' ceiling is a little higher, and he showed that in the second half. Uh, But LaMelo, yeah, the Hornets have to be hugely hugely happy that they got that guy at number three that he fell to them at number three and uh and i'm looking forward to james wiseman in year two i think yeah he had some serious ups and downs in a rook as a rookie but that always helps out going into year two you know i think he's uh he's not gonna fade away some guys fade away from the uh uh the difficult you know the injuries and, and not being part of the rotation be put to the bench and all that but uh, i think he'll bounce back so we yeah we got a, a great rookie class yeah ball was awesome i was skeptical I wasn't all that impressed with highlights I was watching in Australia, I'll tell you that. I was like, really? This guy? And he was awesome. He was absolutely incredible. He was coming off the bench, too, and to the point where they're like, you better start him. He should be playing for you. And then I forgot that the Hornets got as high as number four in the East standings at one point. Mm. And then Ball gets hurt, Gordon Hayward gets hurt, and, you know, sort of the season falls apart then. Uh, You know, they make the play-in tournament or whatever, but... Yeah, that was pretty amazing. He was awesome. Not only the numbers, but, like, contributing to a winning team. You know, it would have been nice if the Wolves were maybe... Uh, I, I guess they what? They had a little stretch there late uh, where they where they won some games. But they just had such a bad season from the jump that that also hurt uh, Anthony Edwards' case. I do have one final trivia question for you guys along the lines here of all this Rookie of the Year uh, you know, winnings and guys not playing a lot of games. Can you name in modern NBA times, right? So since we've been watching around, 
guys that have played fewer games to win Rookie of the Year than uh, what we got here from LaMelo Ball. It's tough. Uh, what's his name? Um, who, who, oh, oh, no, Embiid. Uh, no, Embiid no, didn't, didn't win. win. So I'm going to give you some hints here because it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Two guys, uh, you know, one's in the Hall of Fame and then one's probably on his way to the Hall of Fame after a very uh, incredible second half to his career. Uh, Tass knows him well. Um, Vince? Vince played 50 games in an 82-game hmm. season, and he won. And then the other guy, Hall of Famer, sweaty man, big guy. Patrick Ewing? Yeah, Patrick Ewing only played <laughs> oh, 50 yeah. games in his 82-game season. And then Ball is tied with Kyrie Irving uh, just below those guys. I think I'm playing in what, like whatever it is, 51 games. But Ball has the shortened season because of COVID, and then Kyrie had the shortened season because of the, the lockout there in 2011. Yeah, Xavier uh, McDaniel, when I had him on uh, Pop and Packs last year, still salty that uh, Patrick Ewing got uh, Rookie of the Year because I believe Xavier played all 82 games, put up good numbers. But you know what? It was New York, man. They wanted the Knicks. Oh, they wanted the Knicks to have rookie of the year. East Coast, so. New York bias. No yeah, doubt coming yeah. through. <laughs> Vince was the lockout season. Lockout though, season. Oh, he was lockout mm. season too. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, that wasn't said in this article. So, it's a great point. Okay. But he only yeah, played he 50. Played, I think he played yeah, all he the played games. played all 50. Yeah, 50, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> then that's my bad. Good catch. That's also on you, ESPN. That's on you. <laughs> uh, I was taking you at your word there. Final one here. According to the Athletics, NBA reporters Damian Lillard and Draymond Green are among the initial commitments to Team USA for the Tokyo Olympics this summer. Dame is going to be playing in his first Olympics, in theory here, if these reports are true, after dropping out of consideration for the 2016 Games, where the U.S. men's team won its third consecutive gold. And Draymond, of course, was on that team that finished 8-0. So up or down, Lily? It's a bit of a weird question, but I wanted to slip this news in. On Lillard and Draymond... No, reportedly playing for Team USA here in the Tokyo Olympics. Thumbs up, this guy. Yeah, loves look, basketball. look. The, in the 2019 FIBA World Cup, the US team rolled out a couple of players like Mason Plumley, Brooke Lopez, you know, Chris Middleton, Marcus Smart. You know, solid NBA veterans. Their biggest star was probably Donovan Mitchell, even though he wasn't quite the star he is right now. I think it's so important to have the biggest names possible representing the USA because it's like Brazil in soccer. You want to see the big names. Now, I know LeBron's already said he's not playing and a few other guys as well, those super big names. That's all right. LeBron's played in the past. You don't have to play every Olympics. But Lillard, I want to see there. Steph hasn't committed yet. I hope he plays. I just think it brings something to the tournament when the uh, best NBA players, the best American players are all like, I'm in. Now, if you're injured, you get a pass. That's fine. But otherwise, I'd love to see guys there because it just makes the tournament so much more special. And Draymond Why maybe doesn't have the same appeal globally for the game and the style that he plays. I think Lillard is one of those ones that people like, awesome. Yeah. Lillard is a dude I want to see play because he's a big-time player <laughs> and he's fun to watch. I, I think it's so important. Lillard is a dude I want to see. You know, Look, the USA said the other day, they automatically enter any basketball tournament as the favorite, no matter which team they put forward. And while they didn't win in China, uh, it wasn't like overcoming the dream team. You know, it was kind of like, well, they had their sort of third line, third string of players out there. I want to see the best American team possible uh, within reason, as I say, because some guys who have played in the past, they don't have to, or if they're injured or if they're later in their career. But uh, hopefully by someone like Lillard saying, I'm in, that will encourage some of those others who are perhaps on the fringe to say, oh, all right, yeah, well, let's do it. Let's go out and, and get this gold medal back and show that we are the best nation in the world because, uh, you know, they're not right now in terms of world championship mm. honors. Uh, Trey, what do you think? Yeah, I'm like Lee. I love seeing a Damian Lillard saying yes to the team. And for Lillard, he's got to see the writing on the wall that this is a huge opportunity to 
for him to maybe be the star of Team yeah. USA's team, considering we know that LeBron is not going to be playing. Anthony Davis isn't going to be playing. My guess is that a lot of the stars end up saying no here, and maybe Lillard is the star of the team in his first Olympics team and wins the gold medal. But that's the weird thing to me is I'm a little bit down considering that we just went through a bubble season. We just went through this season where LeBron is saying uh, the shortened off season has caused a ton of injuries. And now if you're choosing to play in the Olympics, you're choosing to shorten your off season again before heading into next NBA season, which is going to start basically on time. So I'm up as a Team USA basketball fan, but if I'm the Warriors and especially if I'm the Blazers, I'm a little bit down on this. I mean, you're not going to tell Damian Lillard, don't go play in the Olympics but he is your superstar, and he's the only thing holding that team together right now. So they got to be shaking in their trailblazing boots a little bit. Uh, but I'm with you, Lee. After uh, the 2019 FIBA World Cup, got to send some of the best guys out there and try and get that gold again. Yeah, these guys are 31 years old too, right? Lillard and Draymond. You know, they're not uh, you know not young guys here, so they've already got a lot of mileage on them. But what do you think, Tass? Yeah, I'm with Trey. I think we've kind of seen uh, the limit on guys who are going to go like guys who are either didn't make the postseason, you know, like Draymond or guys who made the first round uh, like Damian Lillard. Like, I think that's the sort of the extent of it because yeah, I, I think LeBron's words carry a lot of weight. So guys see that, uh, hear that and say, oh, I'm probably not going to extend it too far. I think, yeah, you should be worried if you're a Blazers fan uh, because Damian Lillard, you know, did hit a bit of a wall this season, even though he was absolutely incredible. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be, it's, gonna be uh, something that people watch but uh yeah as much as i want everybody to go uh i think we're yeah we're not gonna see guys no. who are playing right now even in the second round go at all and, and nobody in the conference finals or in the finals they're just gonna pass this one up unfortunately until we get back to regular times yeah i think uh maybe the biggest name we could expect to be on this team besides lillard by all reports joe varden jason tatum is uh, possibly consider going and playing in this. And there's, a you know, obviously a younger guy, and he hasn't played on this team before. So that could be a huge – I mean, he's a big draw. He's a huge name, and uh, he would obviously help their chances. Uh, he played we'll at see. the uh, he World, was Cup, in the World Cup. Yeah, but not at yeah. Olympics. Yeah, not at Olympics. Right. Um, we'll see. Can we get FIBA Mello playing in uh, Team USA again? Go for another goal? Maybe Lillard will get him there. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Olympic yeah. legend. Bring him off the bench. You need somebody to knock down a couple of threes right. in the second half. You know Melo's good for it. Yeah. All right. We will see. I can't even believe they're still having the Olympics at this point, but uh, I guess it's happening uh, in what? Less than, I don't know, a, not a month. Getting close. They're having, yeah, uh, getting getting close, close, yeah. Yeah, they're having like uh, U.S. Olympic trials are on TV right now for a lot of the events, like swimming and stuff like that. So it's right around the corner if they are happening. All right. Let's take one more break till we get to Tweet of the Night. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- 
Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, JD, hit us with that tweet of the night stinger. Mmm, tweet of the night. Wow. Twitter. TK, what do you got, my man? What's the tweet of the night? Oh, a lot of NBA news yesterday. Skeetserino, lots of tweets going around, but one guy who was completely unfazed by by by, by all of the news in the NBA is <laughs> Neolich. Our tweet of the night comes to us from the score by way of Marko Lubraminovich. Ubermirovich, sorry, uh, who says the Denver Nuggets superstar and NBA MVP Nikola Jokic was at the Hippodrome in his hometown of Sambor shortly after he landed in Serbia. Earlier today, he announced that he won't be playing for his national team this summer because apparently he's too busy riding around on a horse-drawn carriage looking like a lot of the members of the starters put together. He's got the Skeets backwards hat. He's got Lee's glasses. He's got my sleeveless shirt. You got Tass's Crazy cool demeanor from Young. Yeah, Tass's cool yeah. unfazed demeanor, and of course JD's love of transportation <laughs> and hatred of leaving your car idling. This is great for the environment. Getting around on a horse-drawn carriage. What? Uh, what? Are, what are those called? <laughs> It's a harness. I don't know another name for that. A yeah. harness. I don't yeah. like there you go. where his head level is at in this setup. He is right well, at I'm... that horse's ass. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if it's because he's a giant guy, so he's like right up there. It just, it just doesn't look comfortable to me. Like, I mean, imagine you're the horse, though. This. Yeah. As well. Like, the horse is usually taking, like, the tiniest little guys around when they go around. And then this big 6'11", 260-pound <laughs> dude just sits on the back yeah. and says, all right, let's go, you know? I mean, it's a power look. I do like how yeah. Jokic looks like Trey broke it down. But, uh, yeah, weird, like, choice of what's going on here, transportation yeah. or racing yeah. or whatever this is. It looks, like, <laughs> yeah, dusty and hot. But, hey, you do you. He apparently loves it, so. Good tweet. We needed a quick one here for a long show. Good stuff. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, just uh, to set up tonight's game, game six, Nets box. Uh, you know, who knows? What's the over-under for Kevin Durant tonight, Lily? How many points score? What are we setting it at? You went for 49 in game five. What do you yeah. want to set it at? You want to go? You want to call it 40 and a half? 42 and a half. Let's say 42, 42 and, and a half. half. Okay, you're going over-under. Yeah. I'm going 43, so I'll take okay, the over. Okay, he's going over. It's going over. Uh, 
Yeah. Exactly 43. Do you have any predictions besides that, Lee, for tonight's game and trying to figure Honestly, out? Honestly, I really don't know. Could it? Could the Bucks just realize the season's on the line, let's just be desperate and, and attack from the start, and the Nets potentially like, well, we know we've got Game 7 safety net at home here, another game maybe for James Harden to get better, and maybe Kyrie Irving can come back. I don't know. Or do the Bucks just be like, we blew it in Game 5. Let's just end this season now. You know, I mean, maybe Let's that's get it. Kevin out of here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, because if they can close it out, then they do get, you know, an extra few days rest potentially if the Sixers and the Hawks series goes to seven. So, honestly, who knows at this point which way it could go. <laughs> Tass, you want to take a stab at it? Look into your crystal ball, man. What happens in game six tonight? Uh, my friend Jimmy Harden goes for 20 points and 10 assists tonight. I think they're going to leave him open. And uh, he's going to make them pay. Uh, I think he'll uh, he'll be on the floor, which is the surprising thing to me that Steve Nash said, yeah, he's yeah. likely good to go. He's feeling good. So I think he'll... Uh He'll give it after not giving it uh, in Game Five. Like he'll he'll just feel a little bit more comfortable, and uh, there's no way he can play as bad. So I think he'll he'll be in more of a flow, and uh, he'll get his guys going as well. So uh, it'll be like uh, what he did all season, just a little bit lighter because he's still not 100. percent But uh, you know that I think that'll be enough to get them to win if he has a good game. Oh my God, you're telling me that the Nets aren't going to rest KD <laughs> and James Harden for this game six. Save him for game seven. That's tough stuff for the Bucks because if uh, Harden's able to actually produce uh, better than a 25% James Harden, uh, then they're in trouble. It's got to be the three-pointers that go down for the Bucks tonight. We're waiting for an incredible shooting percentage. I think they hit 16 in game four. We got to see the 23-pointer game. Um, that would just throw the Nets off a little bit, I think, actually having to contribute defensively and having to move around and uh, do some stuff instead of just trying to load up against Kevin Durant. I'll take the under, though, Lee. I think he's going to get exactly 42. <laughs> so. um, I'm with Tough. you, Tass, that Harden will, I mean, he really can't play worse offensively. He probably hits some threes and, and maybe looks a little better on that end. But if he's playing, which it sounds like he's going to, the Bucks have to go at him. They have to. You have to attack him. He can't just hang out on P.J. Tucker or whoever they want to just like sort of throw him in a corner and don't worry about. You've got to get him in action and try and like expose him on that end. And, and we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't bet on Bud doing that or some of these Bucks players, but that would be my suggestion in, uh, in order to get this to a Game 7. We'll see. Should be fun. Only one game on tonight. I think we'll, of course, talk about that game on tomorrow's show on the Drop Podcast. And we'll talk about all of these like coaching vacancies and which one is the most enticing which one is the least enticing if you were a coach which one would you be uh trying to get your hands on there so we'll break down all that whatever else news happens because you know as soon as we stop recording here there will be like eight gigantic pieces of breaking news in the nba and they're gonna go back to back just watch so we'll be back on friday to break it all down subscribe to the athletic go to the athletic.com slash no dunks if you haven't done that already go get your no dunks merch over at no dunks.com and keep your emails coming no dunks at theathletic.com to email your questions and comments in fun long shows clipper bros you heard it here first have a great time turn up love you guys awesome thanks for joining us and remember nobody really knows what's going to happen in the nba the bucks are going to the finals <laughs> probably not embrace the day people
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.